Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, today we are so blessed to have with us somebody who really is, in the truest sense, a world changer. In fact, I would say in our generation, I cannot think of anyone who has had a greater impact on church, church leadership, and church culture in our generation than Brian and Bobby Houston. In 1983, they went to the north of Sydney, Australia, and founded what is now known as Hillsong Church. Today, they have 135 congregations around the world. It is a global church, and it all flows out of their having said yes to the Lord. It's amazing what God will do through a person when they say yes to the Lord. But Brian and Bobby are unique in this sense. They are very gifted leaders in all of my life. I haven't, I've never been around somebody who is more gifted as a leader And Debbie and I, through the years, watching from a distance, have had the opportunity as we've leaned in to learn from them, to watch, to see how to make church better, to see how to make church more effective, along with thousands of leaders around the world. uh, We've been influenced, and it's helped our leadership. Brian, you could be a thousand places today, but you're here at James River Church. We love you and Bobby. We're behind you 100%. Come on, let's give a big James River welcome to Brian Houston in the house. How good it is to be at James River Church. (laughs) So good, so good. Amen. Father, we're grateful to be in your house today. Lord, I thank you for every person who's gathered on this location and the other campuses as well. Holy Spirit, you're here. You're present. You're ever present. Lord, I believe you're working in the lives of people. Even when they are unaware, Lord, you're working in the lives of people. Have your way in this service, we pray in Jesus' Name. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Amen. You guys can all be seated. So... New chairs, these are the new chairs? Wow, and those are the new chairs? So you guys are all in first class. Everybody else is in coach. (laughs) Uh, It's good to be here, really is. I've been once before to James River. My wife's been here speaking at uh, the conference, the women's conference, and it's always good to come to Springfield. Yeah, always. I love the Lindells. Is it Lindell or Lindell? I always say Lindell, but someone told me yesterday it's Lindell, right? You've been Lindell to me the whole years I've known you, so I'm, I'm sticking with Lindell, all right? <laughs> anyway, f- fantastic people and uh, always so kind. And you're blessed to have great pastors. Amen. So never take it for granted. <laughs> all right. Robin the thief, robbing the thief. The Bible says, John 10, 10, that the devil 
is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so there's no doubt whatsoever that the enemy, who now is a defeated foe, uh, has clear goals, and that is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And in your life, I can tell you, well, I can tell you many, I guess, but I've written down seven things the devil would love to steal, would love to kill, or would love to destroy in your life. And I'll also tell you the reasons why. And the first of those things is unity. But the great blessing of unity in the church should never be underestimated. From everything I see, everything I hear, you're part of a unified church. And you know, in a unified church, God doesn't just recommend blessing. Uh, he, he doesn't just suggest blessing. The Bible says God commands blessing. And so if there's genuine unity anywhere, I believe it's inevitable there's going to be blessing. I love being in a blessed environment because there's momentum, there's life, the air is clean, I would say. Where there's disunity, the air can feel so sort of thick and confusion sets in. So never, ever underestimate the power of unity. Never presume on it. It's Psalm 133 verse 1. It says, blessed are those who dwell together in unity. I'll read it to you. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Life has got eternal ramifications forevermore. You know what, that blessing, I believe the blessing is on the thing that we're unified around. We're unified around Jesus and we're unified around His church. And so unity will bring blessing to the church, but I believe that it also brings blessing to those who contribute to unity in the church. So in other words, there's nothing that says that the blessing's only for the church or the blessing's only for what we're unified around. I think that you can expect blessing in your own life. When you are intentional about unity, you are, are committed to unity, you contribute to unity, that's where God commands a blessing. Uh, <laughs> so let's know the power and live with a commitment to, to unity. In, uh, and I could read many scriptures, but in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine, that's what I guess we often would read at a wedding, but it says two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward. There's a reward to unity. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labour, the Scripture says. For if they fall, one, if, if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. I like being warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand, and a threefold cord cannot be broken. And so, the wonder of unity. Let's be people who know that the way we speak, the way we live, the way we think, what we contribute, that it all makes a difference and will attract blessing.
to the church, when the church is unified, but I believe it'll also bring blessing in your own life. Amen. So number two, the second thing, which I think the devil will try to steal, kill or destroy. I mentioned unity. Devil will steal unity to kill momentum and to destroy blessing. Steal, kill and destroy. Second thing is joy. You see, the devil will steal our joy to kill any sense of well-being and to destroy your strength. Why? Because there is strength in joy. There's strength in joy. It's Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Many probably know it. It says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The enemy would love to weaken you. He would love to undermine you. So if he can steal, if he can kill, if he can destroy in the area of joy, he will. Joy, it's a powerful thing. It's more than an emotion. Happiness maybe is an emotion, but the difference between joy and happiness is, well, happiness often depends on what's happening. And so if there's happy things happening in your life, you're happy. But if there's not so happy things happening in your life, you can lose happiness, whereas joy, it's a spiritual quality. And it's a strength, it's a strength even in the difficult times. It's a strength even when the challenge comes. The Scripture talks about trials. It says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. See, joy, it's something that will sustain you. When I think about joy, if I was trying to describe it, I think I would think of peace. And do you know the, the verb for peace is prosperity, blessing. Uh, so I would think of peace. I'd think of well-being. I would think of joy in terms of a knowing, a certainty that God is in control. That's how I would see joy. That's how I would think of joy. And so if we identify the joy stealers in our life and we allow God to do what He wants to do in our lives, then joy, joy will sustain you. The devil hates it. He hates it. But I believe it's the will of God for your life to know the beauty and the wonder of joy. Third thing the devil would love to steal, kill or destroy is generosity. <laughs> There's something attractive about generosity. And generosity is not just what we do on Sundays <laughs> or these days, any time during the week in terms of our contribution, our commitment to the church that we love. Generosity is a way of seeing. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of living. I love being around generous people because it's contagious. It gets on you. And there's so many promises, as many you know, in the Scriptures for generosity. The devil would like to steal your generosity, to kill your impact, and destroy your promises. Steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, the Scripture talks about the generous, and it's, it's awesome in the message, because it says that the world of the generous gets what? Larger and larger. Whereas the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. 
You know, tithing is ultimately first and foremost obedience. And so it's obedience and it's trusting God. But I actually think when people determine they're gonna put God first in their lives and God first in their finances, that there's a generosity to it as well. And the world of the generous will get larger and larger. And in Malachi where it talks about honouring God, putting Him first, the Scripture talks about the kind of blessing that you cannot contain. It's uncontainable. Generosity. Let's be generous. Let's hang around generous people. And you know the Scripture that I, I love is 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 and 2. And it's talking about the Macedonian churches and the incredible example of the Macedonian churches who were in crisis. They were in economic crisis. But the Scripture talks about their joy and their generosity. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And look at this, in a great trial of affliction, difficult days, difficult times, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. Would you normally put those things together? I mentioned joy. Their joy and deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or their generosity. The Scripture there talks about joy and generosity. I believe joy and generosity feed each other. The truth is a person who's filled with joy will tend to be generous. And a person who is generous will tend to be filled with joy. They, they feed each other. And you know something I've noticed? When someone's not right, when maybe someone have got something into their heart, maybe they're offended or maybe they're just losing their way and they are, well, almost on their way out. I'll tell you the first two things that'll disappear their joy and their generosity. That's where you'll see it first. Joy and generosity. They work together so beautifully and the enemy hates them. Why? Because of their impact, because of their power, because of what they can literally do in our lives. Generosity, just like joy, it's an internal thing. The Scripture talks about a generous soul. It says the generous soul will be made rich. It's Proverbs 11 verse 25. The generous soul will be made rich and the one who waters will also be watered themselves. I say practice generosity every day. It's how we speak. It's how we think. Do we think generously about other people? Do we think thoughts that are generous toward maybe the person who is living in the blessing that you wish was yours? Generosity. It affects every part of your life. And because of its power, that's why the devil would love to steal. He would love to kill. He would love to destroy. We're not gonna let him. It's not gonna happen. The Scripture says he's seeking whom he may devour. Well, I've, I've decided he may not. He's looking for whom he may. He may not. That's why I wanna stay committed to unity. That's why I wanna stay committed to joy. 
That's why I want to stay committed to generosity. The scripture talks about unforgiveness and tells us not to be that way. Why? It says, lest Satan take advantage of you. But I've decided no advantage he may not. But if we understand what the enemy would love to undermine in your life, with the purpose of stealing, killing and destroying, then we know how precious and how much we protect those things in our lives. Number four, the fourth thing that the devil would love to steal, kill and destroy is zeal. Yeah, zeal. The devil would like to steal your zeal, steal your zeal, to destroy your motivation and kill your enthusiasm. Zeal is just like joy, generosity. It's contagious too. Whereas being lethargic, settling down, growing weary, there's nothing attractive about that. I mean, you can't do much about the fact that you're growing old. I'm not old, but I'm growing old. But it is my decision whether I grow weary. And weary is not just tired. Weary is on a different level than that. And so zeal, zeal, what a powerful quality. Some of you people who are slightly older, I can't see too many of you actually. The longer you go in life, the less people there are in a room that's older than you. But uh, I don't want to be one of these cynical, jaded, you know, unhappy, preachers who talk about the good old days and look at young people and say, young people today aren't like they were in my day. I say, thank God, when the generations are working well, I mean, when the Kingdom of God is working well, the generations get stronger. I was watching <laughs> Pastor Brandon, Lindell, Lindell, Pastor Brandon, Lindell, I was watching him up here and I saw the boldness and the godly confidence. I love seeing that. But you know something? Growing weary is easy to do. Zeal, again, like so many things, you have to be intentional about it. You have to be intentional about passion. I mean, the Oxford Dictionary, which is a real dictionary, because it's from England, where they taught us all English, yeah. Says great energy or enthusiasm. This is, all, this is what it's saying about zeal. Great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Great energy or enthusiasm. Psalm 69 verse nine, the Psalmist says, passion for your house has consumed me. Zeal for your house, other translations, has consumed me. So zeal, literally, was a defining thing in his life because he was consumed by a zeal for God's house. You know something, some people are old before their time. If you're a young woman and you're looking for a Christian guy to date, and he just slobs on the lounge all day with a remote control, playing video games. 
Find someone who wants to get up and get going. Find someone who's got some passion in life. Find someone who's got some motivation, some enthusiasm, some zeal to step up. <laughs> yeah, life would be fun. Life would be an adventure with someone like that. The devil would like to steal your zeal, to destroy motivation and kill your enthusiasm. Zeal gets you up in the morning. It really does. Zeal counts the cost and does whatever it takes. Zeal is evidenced in joy and generosity. So I've talked about unity, joy, generosity, and now zeal, all things the devil would love to steal. And again, you get around a generous person, they, they tend to be full of zeal. You get around a joyful people, they tend to be filled with zeal. Let's know the wonder of zeal. Nothing is ever built without zeal. Passion, passion for God's house has consumed me. You can never build a church around what you have to do, we have to go. Do I have to come out Wednesday night? Do I have to? No, where the zeal, you can't stop the contagious nature of people who are passionate, passionate about seeing the things of God outworked in their lives, passionate about it. If I go on to verses three and four, it says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, these Macedonians, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, zealous, freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. What this is talking about is when it came to offering time, they were imploring, they were imploring the apostles, let's take up this offering. We wanna be part of the fellowship and blessing Jerusalem Christians. We wanna make a difference. That's what zeal looks like. You know what else zeal looks like? Nehemiah chapter eight, verses four and six. It says, Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people. And look at this. When he opened it, he just opened the Old Testament law. Imagine if he was opening a new covenant with better promises and a better hope. No, no, he opened it. And when he did, all the people stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, that all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped. That's what zeal looks like. He just opened the book. And the moment he opened the book, spontaneously, they all stand up. They're all shouting, Amen, Amen. <laughs> That's what zeal looks like. Uh, I thank God for church where you can be joyful. We have the opportunity to be generous. And there's a zeal, there's a passion. I don't know about you, but I don't want to follow someone who doesn't have any passion, passion for the lost, passion for the things of God, passion about the church and seeing the church grow, passionate about their family. Do not grow weary in doing good. That's the thing about weariness. You don't just wake up that way one day. You grow weary. And I already said it. I believe it's a choice. It's a choice. <laughs> Do not grow weary in doing good. Life can weary you. 
when it comes to the armed forces, people who have literally given their lives in our part of the world, Australia, New Zealand, people who went to war and fought together in pretty well all the wars that your country has fought. But there was a poem that you'll often hear read out on what is called Anzac Day in Australia. It's Australian New Zealand Armed Corps, I think. So it's like Memorial Day. Uh, so, but it's when there's a focus on those who have given their lives and laid their lives down and served their country. And there's a poem that was written that you'll hear read every single year. And in it, it says, they fell with their faces to the foe. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. It says, age shall not weary them. For the years, nor the years condemn. We will remember them. Age shall not weary them. Well, there's a saying is we're gonna grow old, but we're not gonna let what they have done grow old. Age shall not weary them. It's my commitment, age is not gonna weary me. <laughs> Life can be, it can, it, take, it can take its toll. There's challenges in life. It can take its toll. But I want to be filled with zeal. I still want to have a Pentecostal two-step when I'm 112. Amen. Yeah, full of zeal. Don't let the devil steal your zeal. She'll be able to remember that one. All right, number five. I don't think I'm going to get through all of these, by the way, but that's fine. Number five, focus. The devil would love to steal, kill, and destroy your focus. The devil would love to steal your focus, to kill your single-mindedness, and destroy your fruitfulness. There's so many distractions in life. There's so many distractions in the world around and about us. Do you know, I see focus being single-minded, single-hearted, single-spirited. I think it's a spiritual gift. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12. It says, the hand of God was on Judah. The hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart. It was a gift from God to have that singleness. Sometimes people are juggling so many different things. In fact, we've got someone right now working at a global structure at Hillsong Church. And he told me I've got 46 different people answering directly to me. I think he's about to tell me that's not a good idea. All I do know is the more we can just be single about who we are, who God's called us to be, what God's called us to do, who we love, what our lives are about, ultimately, the more effective you're going to be. The devil would love to steal your focus, to kill your single-mindedness and destroy your fruitfulness. <laughs> What's God called you to do? Listen to this though. Joshua chapter one, verse seven. The Lord speaking to Joshua says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Don't deviate. There's so many things on the right, so many things on the left. 
So many things to distract us. These days, this world, this era, with so many things going on, people get distracted. Social media is a distraction to people, especially when they're following things that are gonna do them no spiritual good whatsoever. So many things vying for our attention. So many things want us to lose our single-mindedness, our focus. I said, I'm not very good at many things. That's right, but a matter of fact, my sons both play golf and they're blessed because they don't have my, my uh, coordination. They ought to thank God for their grandfather on their mother's side. Because if they took after me, well, let's put it this way, there's a reason I don't play golf. But recently I've been trying to because I wanted to hang out with my sons and I kind of enjoy just getting out there, it's beautiful. But uh, I'm not very good, but I know the one thing God called me to do, and that's to lead and build a church. I don't have to be good at a whole lot of other things. I just got to be good at what God called me to do. Maybe you look at others and they look so gifted and so talented and you, know, you just, you know, you could be so envious of them, but I'll tell you right now, you don't have to be good at all that. Just be good at being who God called you to be and be good at what God called you to do because that's what He equips you for. That's what He arms you for. So focus is powerful. It keeps our eyes on our priorities and it will make our lives so much more significant. There's people right now and there's things vying for your attention that are just out of distraction. Let's be like the Scripture says, not turning to our left or our right. Like the Lord challenged Joshua, don't get caught up with what's on the left, don't get caught up with what's on the right. Be single, amen. So number six, sixth thing the devil would love to steal, kill or destroy is your confidence. The devil will steal your confidence to kill your effectiveness and destroy your reward. Because that's what the Bible says about confidence. Hebrews 10, 34, 35. It says, therefore do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. The enemy, he would so love to undermine your confidence. And you know, confidence is always vulnerable. Just because you're confident today doesn't mean the devil can't undermine it and attack it. And you lose confidence. Especially if you're talking about confidence that's generated by ourselves. We're talking about self-confidence and the fact is the confidence that we really need is godly confidence. Because I think it's godly confidence that has great reward. Godly confidence is not just about me. I'm very confident, I'm pretty cocky, I'm, you know. I, confidence is not arrogance. Confidence is, again, you know who you are. Because you see it in the Word. You know who God called you to be. You're comfortable in your own skin. Well, what a gift that, you know, something people try to pursue that all their lives. So many people, insecurity just frames them. And then things like jealousy and feeling threatened and envy and all those things that are just robbers of God's plan and purpose for their lives. I spent too many years in ministry and preaching, far too self-conscious. I asked Joyce Meyer once, I said, Joyce, 
do you ever get nervous before you speak? And uh, she just looked at me like it was the silliest question she's ever heard and said, no, I just don't think of myself when I preach. I just try to help people. But see how many people are caught up and bound up because the devil has stolen, undermines, wants to kill, wants to destroy your confidence. Confidence comes from a secure place. I said it's based on who God is, not so much who we are. And you know, just like all these things I've talked about, all these qualities, there's also something attractive about confidence, not arrogance, not a lack of humility, but just a sense, I know who I am. I know who God is in my life. That kind of confidence. Proverbs chapter three. I hope this is okay. All right, all right. Proverbs chapter three, verse 26, for the Lord will be your confidence. Who will be your confidence? God, the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. And you know something? A lack of confidence, it'll trip people up. But the Bible says when God is our confidence, the Scripture says it will keep your foot from being caught. Godly confidence avoids traps. The enemy would love to trap you in, in jealousy, envy, or just that insecurity and feeling threatened. Let's be honest, outside of our relationship with Christ, everyone has to struggle with to some degree. But godly confidence, of course the devil would love to undermine it. Why? Because it's got so much power in your lives. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And His children will have a place of refuge. In the fear of the Lord, the awe of God. When we're looking at God, the Scripture talks about strong confidence. What a powerful thing that really is. Strong confidence. And number seven, yeah, I made it. Number seven, the devil would love to steal, kill, and destroy faith. Because what a lack of faith does is it impacts our relationship with God. Hebrews 11 verse six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What does that scripture say? It says, where there is no faith, it's impossible to please God. So the devil would love to steal your faith, to kill evidence of answered prayers and destroy your relationship with God. Faith, faith is not just faith in faith, it's faith in God. It's faith in what God says. It's faith in who God is. And the Scripture says that with faith, you see substance and evidence to the things that you pray for. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. I wonder what's trying to undermine your faith. Faith in God. Faith in God's Word for your life. I wonder what it is that we'd like to just steal from you, kill and destroy. The wonder of 
trusting God. Sometimes we feel our prayers won't answer. Sometimes things don't go the way we expected. Sometimes someone we loved and prayed for passes away. Sometimes your faith is directly attacked. But don't lose your faith. Hold on to it. Understand the wonder of faith and the way it draws us close to God. And listen, believe for that evidence and that substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. <laughs> I want to hold on to my faith. When life's going for me, I want to hold on to my faith. When life's working against me, I want to hold on to my faith. Faith in me is taking me nowhere. Faith in God. This brings evidence of the wonder and the miraculous power of God in your life. So thank God we're people of faith. Thank God we're people of faith. Lord, I just thank You in Jesus' Name. The devil is a defeated foe. He would try with his wiry plans and wily plans, he would try to undermine so many things that have power in our lives. Lord, I pray people will see that for what it is and they'll refuse to allow the devil to undermine your plans, your purposes in their lives. Lord, we're grateful to You. We're thankful to You. Help us to be generous. Help us to be joyful. Help us to commit to unity. Help us to focus, Lord. Help us with godly confidence. Help us to be people of faith. Lord, I just thank You for it, in Your precious Name. Amen, Amen, Amen.